Chapter 11 of Treve by Albert Payson Terhune. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by J. Schmidt. Chapter 11 The Parting of the Ways. Treve lay on the porch at the Dos Hermanos ranch house, his classic head between his little white forepaws, his mighty gold and white body like a couchant lion's. A casual passerby would have said the dog was asleep. A dog student would have known better. Seldom do collies sleep in that picturesque pose. Usually, they slumber, a sprawl on one side. Neither were the collies' deep-set, sorrowful eyes shut. They were looking wearily across the heat-pulsating miles of ranch land. Nor were they alert, as when the big dog was on guard. There was perplexed worry in their soft gaze. Things were happening at the ranch. Things Treve did not understand. Yet his collie sixth sense told him there were change and confusion in the air as well as in the words and voices of his two masters. These two masters were often at odds. The dog long since had ceased to let himself be stirred by their incessant and harmless quarrels. But they were not at odds nowadays. Indeed, there was a new civility, almost a sad friendliness, in their manner toward each other. We humans often grope for the solution to some baffling mystery which eludes our sharpest intelligence, and whose key, could we but master it, lies within easy reach of us. So with Treve. The key to this disturbing new ranch development lay within six inches of his nose, in the form of a newspaper which had fallen from the porch rocker to the dusty floor. Had Treve been able to read type, as he could read human nature and weather signs and danger to the Dos Hermanos flocks, a front-page news item in that paper might have told him much. The paper was the Santa Carlotta Bugle. The item had been written by the Bugle's proprietor himself, in his best florid style. The proprietor, by the way, chanced to be the managing editor, the city editor, the repertorial staff, and the printer of the paper also the business and advertising manager and office boy. The bugle was a one-man sheet. His front-page article ran, Dan Cupid has been making a spring roundup of the ranch country this season. We have had glad occasion to announce no less than four engagements and two marriages in the Dos Hermanos Valley during the past three months. We now take personal pleasure in retailing the latest romance from that garden spot of our fair state. Mr. Royce Mack, younger partner of the popular sheep ranchers, Fenno and Mack, of the Dos Hermanos Ranch Outfit, is about to marry Miss Rain Houston, the lovely and popular and talented fourth-grade teacher at the Ova School. Miss Houston's gain is the loss of the Dos Hermanos Valley, as the young couple plan to leave this section, which so aptly has been termed God's country, 
and to settle in the far and effete east upon a well-stocked Vermont dairy farm, which was recently bequeathed, along with a considerable cash legacy, to Mr. Mack by his deceased maternal uncle. The nuptials, we understand, will occur at the bride's parental home in Dodge City, Kansas, early next month. Miss Houston expects to leave Ova Friday to go home for her final wedding arrangements. Mr. Mack, we learn, will follow the first of the week. There was more of the article, including a stanza of machine-made poetry with a highly original reference to two hearts that beat as one, but no more is needed to explain the atmosphere of impending change which had begun to grate upon the collie's nerves. For a long time this change had been coming. Treve had trotted across to Ova, evening after evening, for weeks alongside of Royce's pinto. He had lain, boredly, on a rug in a stuffy little boarding-house parlor, while his master forgot him and everything else in chatting with a plump girl who smelt annoyingly of lily-of-the-valley perfume, a girl who said at the outset that she didn't care much for dogs and who asked if collies weren't supposed to be treacherous. Treve had known from the first that she did not like him. This bothered him not at all, for he didn't like her either. Her pungent lily-of-the-valley perfume was as distressing to his sensitive nostrils as would be the reek of carrion to a human nose. Moreover, she was not the type of human that dogs like. Also, she took up too much of his master's attention. Intuitively, Treve realized Mac was not as fond of him as once he had been, and that the man was not the jolly chum of yore. It grieved the sensitive collie. He sought wistfully to draw Royce's attention more to himself and less to this painfully scented outsider, but it was all in vain. Royce Mack was blindly and deliriously in love. The world, for the time, contained for him only one person. That person was far more like an angel than a mere woman. She exhaled in some occult way a faintly angelic perfume from her garments. Sheepishly, Mac told his partner of the engagement. Joel's reply was a grunt which implied nothing or anything. Fenno made precisely the same reply a week afterward when news came to Royce of his comfortable legacy of cash and of pleasant farmland in southern Vermont. Risking monotony, Joel had achieved a third grunt when Mac went on to inform him of the projected eastward move. This move meant a breaking up of the partnership. Mac could not run a dairy farm in Vermont and also a ranch in the West. Joel came out of the silences and out of a maze of calculations long enough to make an offer for Royce's share of the Dos Hermanos. The offer was as meager as was Fenno himself, but it was as reliable. Too foolishly happy to barter, Mac closed with it. Thus, in another three days, Joel Fenno was to become sole owner of the ranch.
Both men had evaded the question of Treves' ownership. The collie belonged jointly to them, yet he was not included in the list of land, buildings, and livestock set forth in the bill of sale. From the first, Mac had regarded the dog as his own and had made Treve his particular chum. Joel had scoffed at such folly and had pretended to hold the collie in utter contempt. But Treve had grown to be everything to the gnarl-souled oldster. For the first time in his sixty-odd warped years, he had learned to care about some living creature. It was with a twinge that he saw how much fonder the dog seemed to be of Mac than of Fenno's unlovable self. Now, at the possibility of parting with his loved dog comrade, his heart was as sore as a boil, wherefore, as usual, he held his peace on the theme so close to him, and he was outwardly the more savage in his comments on Treve's worthlessness. Treve lifted his head from between his paws and stared down the road toward the coulee. His trained ears not only caught the rattle and chug of an approaching car, but they recognized it as a car belonging to the ranch. Presently, the dusty runabout rounded the bend, a furlong beyond. Royce Mack was driving it. At his side sat a plump and slackly pretty figure in billowy white. Tree was too far away to catch the reek of Lily of the Valley, but he knew it would assail and torture his keen nostrils soon enough. The dog got to his feet with a bark of welcome. He was about to lope forward to meet the car and escort Mac to the house when Joel Fenno, hearing the bark, stumped out of the kitchen doorway behind him. The old man had come from work, with Treve at his heels, a half hour early that day. Now he reappeared from his bedroom, crossly uncomfortable in his store clothes, his neck teased by a frayed collar edge and further girt with a ready-made tie of awesome coloring. If his bull's-eye emerald scarf-pin had been genuine, it would have been worth more than the entire ranch. His new boots squeaked groaningly on the porch floor. The collie, wondering at such change in his friend's costume and bearing, halted in his scarce-begun journey toward the approaching car and stared with head to one side. Sure, growled Fenno. Sure, keep a-looking at me, Treevy. I'm sure was it. If twasn't that he's leaving here for good in a day or two, I'd a saw him in blue blazes before I'd a rigged me up like this on a hot weekday just cause he took an idee to ask her over to eat supper with us tonight. I feel like I was to a funeral, Treevy. As he spoke, Joel was strolling down the dusty walk toward the gateway to give such sour welcome as he might to his partner's sweetheart. The collie abandoned his own intent to gamble ahead and paced sedately along at Joel's side. The average high-class collie has reduced snobbishness to an art. Witness the courtesy wherewith many of them hasten to greet a well-dressed stranger 
as contrasted with their fierce rebuff of a tramp. Perhaps it was Finno's unwanted splendor of raiment which made Treve elect to continue the gateward walk in his company rather than dash on ahead, yet of late he had more than once chosen Joel's companionship rather than Max. As they walked, Joel continued to mutter under his breath. She said she wanted to meet her darling Royce's dear old partner, he sniffed. Well, Trevi, the pleasure's all hern. Not that I'm a-grudging her the treat of seeing me. Nothing to do, but she must come over to supper with us, Trevi. And if Sing Lee don't cook no better'n he's been cooking lately, she's sure due to remember this supper for quite a spell. She, what you're smelling at, Trevi? He broke off. The dog had slowed in his walk and was moving stiff-legged. His nostrils were sniffing the still air with queer intensity. The car was drawing to a stop in front of the gate, twenty feet away quite near enough for the hated lily-of-the-valley perfume to reach the collie's acute senses. But it was not perfume he was smelling. It was something far more familiar and far more detested, something still too faint to reach Fenno's grosser powers of scent. The noisy little car stopped. Mac on its far side, got out and hurried around the runabout to help rein Houston to the ground. He did not even pause in his loverly haste long enough to turn off the noisy engine, an engine whose coughing reverberations drowned all lesser sounds. Rain did not wait for her lover to reach her side and assist her in the wholly simple task of opening the car door and stepping to earth. Coming toward the gateway from the direction of the house were Joel and the dog. Anxious to make a good impression on Finno, the girl jumped down before Mac could come around from the far side of the car. Her plump hands outstretched in friendly greeting to Joel, she ran forward to meet him. There was a patch of roadside tumbleweed between the car and the gate. The girl prepared to clear this in her stride, but she did not do so. This because Treve suddenly abandoned his stiff-legged, suspicious advance and made one lightning bound at her. The dog did not growl, nor did he show his teeth, but he sprang with the incredible speed of a charging wolf. Clearing the patch of tumbleweed by fully twenty inches, he sent his body crashing with all its force against the white-clad girl. He did not bite. He lowered his head, and much of his furry body smote her amidships. Back she shot under that swift impact, banging hard against the side of the car and using up what little breath she still had in a loud screech. Royce Mack rounded the side of the car just in time to see the dog hurl himself at the all-precious rain. With a yell of fury at such vile sacrilege to his angel, he sprang at Treve and kicked him. 
The kick struck the dog in the short ribs with an agonizing force that doubled Treve and sent him rolling over and over in the dust. Furiously, Mac followed him up, his boot drawn back for a second and heavier kick. The girl did not cease from screaming as she gathered herself up, bruised and hysterical with fright. As his foot swung back for the kick, Royce chanced to see Joel Fenno from the corner of his eye. The old man was also in violent action. At sight of his partner's activities, Mac checked himself with one foot still in the air. Fenno, regardless of his own rheumatic limbs, was doing a vehement dance in the center of the low tumbleweed patch. Beneath his stamping feet writhed and twisted a fat, four-foot rattlesnake. The nasty odor of crushed cucumbers, certain sign of the pit viper, was strong enough in the air now for even these blundering humans to get the scent which Treve had caught twenty feet away. "'I ain't got my gun on me,' wheezed Joel to his partner, as a final drive of his heel smashed the rattlesnake's evil, arrow-shaped head. But if you kick that dog again, I swear to God I'll go and get it and blow your mangy face off. I seen the whole thing. This gal of yourn was just a-going to plant her foot in the tumbleweed when I seen this rattler hissed up his dirty head and bend it back to strike her ankle. Trevi seen it, too, and he pushed her out in death's way when there wa'n't neither one of us humans near enough nor quick enough to. And you kicked him for saving her. Lord, kicked, kicked Trevi. He had left the slain snake and was hustling across to the dog. Treve had gotten gaspingly to his feet. No whimper had been wrung from him by the anguishing pain of the kick in his tender short ribs. No snarl nor other sign of wrath had shown resentment at his brutality, a brutality for which any human stranger would have been attacked by him right murderously. Instead... The great dog stood stock still in the road, his glorious coat dust-smeared, his mighty body a-tremble. His soft eyes were fixed on the man who had kicked him, the man who had been his god, the man whose sweetheart the collie had risked his own life to save. This was the man to whom he had given loyal and worshipful service since long before he could remember, and now his God had turned on him, had not punished him, for punishment implies earlier fault, but had half killed him for no fault at all. The deep-set dark eyes were terrible in their heartbreak. Royce Mack, Blinking stupidly, felt their look sear into him. Slowly he stared from the stricken dog to the dead snake. Then his eyes fell upon Rain Houston. At sight of the snake, and at comprehension of what Treve had averted from her by that wild leap, Rain collapsed, blubbering and quaking on the running board of the car. 
Drawn by supreme impulse, Royce turned his back on the collie and hurried over to her. Treve was forgotten. With babbled love words, Max sought to reassure and comfort the girl and to learn if she were badly hurt. In this tender employment, he was interrupted by Joel Fenno's rasping voice. The old man had been examining Treve with the tender touch of a nurse and crooning softly to the hurt collie. Now he turned grimly on his partner. Best boost your young lady into the car, he snarled, and trundle her back to Ova. She ain't liable to have much appetite left after what's happened. Besides, seeing Lee's saleratus biscuits ain't no good example for a new-mown bride to take to heart for future use. More than that, she's met me. That's what she came here for, want it? She's met me. Likewise, she saw me dance. She's met Treve again, too. Met him real sudden and personal. That's why she's still alive. Suppose you traipse back to Ova with her and leave me and Treve to ourselves. We kind of need to be left that away, if you don't mind. So long. His wizened hand on the dog's ruff, he strode back to the house shutting the door loudly behind Treve and himself. It was late when Royce Matt got back from Ova that evening. Joel was sitting up for him. Royce said nothing to his partner, but went at once to Treve, who had come slowly forward to meet him. His hands roamed remorsefully over the dog, and he seemed trying to say something. Treve was looking up into Royce's face with that same strickenly reproachful expression that the man had not been able to get out of his memory all evening. If you're hunting for broken ribs or for rupture, commented Joel as he watched his partner's exploring hands, there ain't any, small thanks to you, and by miracle of heaven, Treve's all right. Except you've smashed something in the heart and the soul of him that you can't unsmash. That's all you done. The old man's toneless voice irked Mac. Can you blame me? He challenged. What else could I do? I saw him spring at her and knock her down. I thought he was killing her. It seemed the only way to. To prove you're a born fool, supplemented Joel. You don't need to prove it to me. Nor, when she's knowed you a while longer, you won't need to prove it to her, neither. Why would he be killing her, hey? We've had him all these years, and he never yet did a thing that wa'n't wiser and the wisest thing you ever did. Nor yet he never did anything that was rotten. You might have knowed he had some reason for acting so. Anyhow... There's lots better ways for a man to show he's a dog's inferior than by kicking him. Let it go at that, muttered Roy sullenly, harder hit than he cared to show by the look in his collie chum's dark eyes. I'll make it up to him somehow. I make it up to him, mocked Fenno. How? By telling him you forgave him, maybe? 
or by getting him a nice gold watch and wearing it for him till he's old enough to take care of it. Make it up to him, Lord. Royce turned wrathfully on his expressionless partner. I don't see what business it is of yours, he snapped. You've always hated the dog. You've always called him worthless and said you wished we could get rid of him. Well, you'll be rid of him, all right. In less than a week, he and I will be out of here for good. Where do you get that stuff about him and you? You'll be gone, but Treve's as much mine as he's yours. Royce glanced at his scowling partner in genuine surprise. You don't mean to say you're going to be cantankerous about that, too? He exclaimed. Why, Joel, you hate the very sight of the dog. You've hated him from the beginning. You've never had a decent word for him. I don't believe you ever spoke to him in his life, except to give him some order or else to swear at him. And now you talk about his being as much yours as mine? Well, let's come to a showdown. What do you want for your share in him? Joel made no immediate answer. He was peering through the dim candlelight at Treve. The old man's thin lips moved rhythmically, as though he were chewing the mysterious cud of senility. His chin quivered. Otherwise, his leathery face was blank. It gave no sign of the turmoil behind it. But Treve understood. With all a collie's strange trick of reading human emotion behind a wordless and expressionless mask, he knew his friend was acutely unhappy. The dog got to his feet and came over to Fenno, pressing his furry bulk against the rancher's lean legs and thrusting a sympathetic muzzle into the tough palm. He whined softly, his gaze fixed on Joel's. From long habit in the presence of others, Fenno made as though to repulse the dog's friendliness. Then... With a little intake of breath, he bent over the collie and caught the classic head almost roughly between his hands. Treve, he mumbled thickly. Treve, you and me know all about that, don't we? We're, we're good pals, me and you, Treve. The best pals there ever was. Royce Mack looked on, dumbfounded. There was caress in Fenno's thin voice and in his rough grasp of the dog. Treve, too, was behaving as though he were well accustomed to such signs of affection from the man. I, I thought, began Mack, I thought, no, you didn't, crossly denied Fenno, the barriers down. You never thought in all your born days. If you'd knowed what it meant to think, you'd a knowed a white man couldn't go hating Treevy like I made out I hated him. Nobody could. And likewise, you'd a remembered how he kept me alive that day down by Ova when I was throwed and crippled up and couldn't stir to help myself and how he bring water to me, and how he flagged you, and bring you to me besides. And now you go John about taking him away, and asking what do I want for my share of him. Well, 
I want just a even billion dollars for my share of Trevi. I ain't selling. I'm buying. Now, what you want for your share of him? Speak up. If I got it, I'll pay. Royce pondered a moment. He could not fathom this phase of the old man. Then a solution came to him. Remember the day we got him? asked Mac. Remember how we made dice marks on a lump of sugar out to the foreman's shack to see which owned him? He ate the sugar, and we compromised by owning him between us. Suppose we throw dice again to see who owns him. Loser to give up all claim to him. How about it? Nope, refused Joel stubbornly. Let me buy him off of you, Mac. I'll pay. I'm not selling him, as stubbornly insisted Royce, enamored of his own sporting idea. I'm giving you your chance. Take it or leave it. You ought to be glad I don't suggest we let him go to whichever of us he chooses. Joel winced. Then, despondently, he clumped across the room to the shelf where lay the Parcheesi game. Choosing a cylinder cup and a pair of dice, he came back to the table. On the way, he paused to pat furtively the collie's silken ears. Best two out of three? suggested Royce. Nope, said Fennel. One throw. When a tooth's got to come out, a single yank is best. You throw first. Royce took the dice cup and shook it with relish. Nothing could beat him. He knew that. In his present streak of luck, when a glorious bride and a legacy were falling to his lot, a bout of chance with his Jonah-like old partner could not fail to bring him success and Treve. Expertly, he chucked the dice out on the table in the flickering candle flare. Over and over, the white cubes tumbled and hopped and rolled, coming to a halt at last, barely an inch from the table edge and almost side by side. Both men leaned forward to read the pips on the exposed top surfaces of the dice. A six and a five. Eleven. Unbeatable except by a next-to-impossible twelve. Joel's face set itself like wrinkled granite. He made no other outward sign of distress. Treve, at sound of the noisily rattling dice, had gotten interestedly to his feet and stood with his head on a level with the deal table, watching. Royce swept up the dice and tossed them into the cup, passing it across to Fenno. With hand as steady as a boy's, the old man accepted the cup and sulkily he threw the two dice upon the board. The jar of a heavy tread on the porch made both men turn their heads. Visitors at such an hour were unheard of. Tony, the chief herdsman, stamped in to report the strain of a bunch of sheep that had nosed a hole in the rotting wattles of the home fold. Instinctively, the partners glanced back to the dice. There lay the little cubes, just under the candle's nearest rays. Two sixes. Twelve. There had been fewer than nine chances in a hundred that Joel could have made such a throw, yet his proverbial hoodoo was broken. Luck, for once, 
seemed to have gravitated his way. Fennel made no comment, but bent over to Pat Tree with an odd new air of personal possession, while Mac listened scowlingly to Tony's tale of the lost sheep. Suppose you and your dog chase out with Tony and round him up, said Royce at last, turning maliciously to his partner. They're not mine any longer, you know, any more than Treve is. For once, I'll have the fun of going to bed and letting the rest of the outfit do the hustling. Good night. At dusk, three days later, the one livery car from Santa Carlotta stopped at the ranch gate to carry Royce Mack and his belongings to the distant railroad whence the night train was to bear him eastward to his bride. Herders piled the car with luggage, then stood at the gate to say goodbye to their former boss. Joel loitered in the doorway. Treve beside him, Fenno was frowning and fidgeting. Royce came up to him with outstretched hand. For a moment the old man ignored the hand. Once more, his jaws were at work with senility's cud. Suddenly he burst forth. Treve's yorn. Take him along east with you. There was a world of stifled heartache and stark misery in the grouchy old voice. What the blue blazes, sputtered Royce in amaze. Do you mean to say you don't want him after all the fuss you made? He... Yup, snarled old Fenno. I want him more'n I want my right leg, and I reckon I'll be twice as lonesome without him as I'd be without the two of my legs. But I, I don't want him the way I won him. I thought I did, but I don't. It, it sticks in my throat. He's a square dog, Treevy is. He ain't going to be won by no crooked trick, so I, oh, take him along and shut up. Royce continued to stare in bewilderment. His owlish aspect angered Joel. We shook dice for him, expounded Fenno sourly. You throwed a six and a five. I throwed a six and a one. You looked back to see who was butting into the room that time of night, and I flicked the one spot over and made it a six. Take him along. I, I, Treby, son, he ended, a frog in his throat as he laid a shaky hand on the collie's head. You see for yourself, I couldn't keep you that way. You being so clean and decent and me cheating to get you, I... To his astonishment, Royce Mack broke into a shout of laughter. When I put rain on the Pullman to go east, said Royce, I told her about our throwing dice for Treve. I was still sore over losing him. Do you know what she said? She said she was tickled to death that I'd lost. Said she can't bear dogs and that she'd never be able to endure having Treve around after the savage way he upset her. She said she'd always be afraid of him and that she'd have insisted anyway on my leaving him behind. That settles it. Goodbye, Treve, old friend. Goodbye, Joel. Luck to the pair of you. 
Late into the warm evening, Joel Fenno sat silent on the porch. At his feet, in drowsy contentment, lay Treve. The old man's face was aglow with wordless happiness. Every now and then he would stoop to stroke the sleeping dog. Then he would listen delightedly to the responsive, lazy thump of Treve's tail on the boards. Life was worthwhile, after all. It was great to have a chum that was all one's own, and to sit thus with him at the close of day. No more bickerings, no more John, no more need to pretend he didn't like this wonderful collie of his. It was fine to be alive. Trevi, he exhorted solemnly as he knocked out his final pipe and prepared to go indoors. Don't you ever let me catch you throwing dice, Crooked. But if ever you do, don't go blabbing about it. Not one time in a trillion and seven could you expect to find a girl who'd square it all for you, like that pudgy rain person done for me. And, Trevi, let me say again, for the severalth time, right here, of all the dogs that ever happened... You're, you're that dog. Now let's quit jabbering and go to sleep. End of chapter 11